All right, Brian, thanks for joining me. Um, we're hitting the record button so I can ask you all of the questions I'm curious about. And everything's recorded, so welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I feel like we're going to talk about nothing but angel investing on this show, which is frankly one of my favorite subjects right now. So I'm really happy to have you on here. Um, I've got your some bio notes up that was sent from Elizabeth Yin uh, from Hustle Fund. You guys, you work together in, in, mm -hmm. in Hustle, uh, but you've done a lot more things. So listen, I'd love to just dive into your background first. Um, okay. uh, who are you? Where were you born? All right, <laughs> and, uh, let's start with that. Let's go all the way. Let's go back. all the way back. Yeah. I'm a um, Bay Area born and raised. Um, so I've been around kind of the tech world my whole life. Um, so I went to USC for undergrad, got my master's from USC, and then immediately after graduating, started my first company. Um, so I've, I've always had this entrepreneurial itch. I was around startups, uh, you know, from an early age. Both my parents are lawyers, but along the way, my dad actually decided the law profession was not for him, and he actually joined a startup. Um, so I kind of got to see the bumps and bruises that come along with with the startup uh, roller coaster. Um, but I still wanted to to participate in that, and uh, so I started my own company. That was a rocky road too. I did that for the first three years after graduating. What um, was that company? So that company is called Reward Tag, and the idea was to put a label on, this is in 2011, put like a, a sticker or a, a keychain on uh, things that matter to you. And the, the, the label had a serial number on it and the website rewardtag.com and it said reward for return. And so uh -huh. the idea was you could connect your physical asset to a digital profile and that would facilitate the return of that loved item. So back in the day when we all had digital cameras, that was a very common use case. People would put the sticker on a digital camera and if they lost that, somebody would be able to return it to them, which um, they otherwise wouldn't really know how to give it back to you know the, per the person who lost it. And uh, so this must be prior to GPS. Yeah, really common. Maybe I don't know. I think we had it back then. Not, so. Yeah, not so tile came out along the way, probably about two years in. Um, and you know, the, the iPhone had some tracking. Um, but like keychains uh, didn't have it. Digital cameras. I don't know if they may I guess they probably do these days, but nobody buys digital cameras anyway. <laughs> and ultimately, what ended up happening with it was it was uh, we, we were able to sell it to one of our clients. So we made it a B2B company. And, and actually, the insight that we had was companies like Logitech wanted um, their customers to register these reward tags. And in doing so, uh, they would capture the customer data of the, the person who was providing the return information that would help them get their lost item back. Hmm. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of brands are struggling to capture that, that data. And this was a way for them to do it. So this, this luggage company called STM bags, who was another client of ours, uh, ended up buying it from us. Um, as I was starting to think about, you know, this isn't going to be a, a home run. So I want to move on to my next thing. And, and so I sold it to, to that client and ended up working at Lyft starting in 2014 um, as the California market manager, which ended up being quite an interesting job. The pink mustache on the front of the car, 
um, really early we, days. Um, might, just before we talk about Lyft, which I definitely want to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, first exit, like you said, not a home run. Yeah. And I don't know if you raised a lot of money, but zero. You so exiting at that point, you must have been, you know pretty young too. Was that you know money to retire the rest of your no, life or not buy at a all. house or buy a car or, or buy a baseball cap. You know, what was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it was closer to baseball cap than uh, retire for sure. Uh, okay. Not not a big outcome. More just I really wanted it to continue to exist for our clients and I wanted to kind of return my, uh, you know, initial capital that we put in as um as founders i had a, a couple co-founders too so we, we were really just trying to recoup our own uh investments in ourselves and uh and really the value there was just learning how you know to build a business from just grinding it out and bootstrapping we were we were able to you know generate enough cash flow to to keep the the business um growing and and to pay ourselves a little bit but we never raised money. It was not kind of the default option back in 2011. I'm sure if we were to start it today, the first thing we would have assumed we should do is go raise money. And that was just not the case. We were like, let's build a business where we have customers funding the growth of the business. <laughs> that was how we thought about it. Crazy. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, at conclusion of that, were you thinking new startup and Lyft, Lyft just came along and, and seemed like, okay, I'll, I'll jump on board as a marketing manager. Like what was the mindset at that time? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So my wife and I, my now wife, the then girlfriend and I, we were both from the Bay and we were in LA at the time. So we decided let's move back up to the Bay and kind of get our life. And that's where we still are. So this is in 2014. Let's kind of make that next step and be closer to our parents. Um, and so I started to apply to real jobs. I had kind of spent three years just working for myself without any real co you know, I had, I had great advisors and, and people in my corner, but I wanted to work at something that was working really well. So I, I got offers from Facebook, Twilio and Lyft. Wow. And, um, and so I was deciding between, wait, wait a second, Ryan, why, why are you so popular with such big companies? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I, coming from the Bay area. I have an am amazing amount of privilege and, uh, a huge network and, and my friends worked at those companies and um, I was able to get in the front door at all, all of those and, and um, they wow. kind of served it up on a, a silver platter for me. So I, I don't now, take any of the credit. Just to timestamp this. So it's 2014 was that roughly yeah. it? So we've got Facebook, I'm trying to think it would have been up and running and, and probably yeah. beyond colleges by then, but certainly yeah. not super large yeah Twilio, 10, I, it had i think it had ten thousand employees at that point okay so you're not one of the first 100 but you're one of the first uh 20, um twilio yeah. I, I can't even timestamp twilio i'm not sure they're they're archived but uh, how big were they at the time yeah they were pretty small i think maybe like 500 okay. um yeah was, and lyft I, I think lyft was about you know on, on the business side it was about 50 on the overall full company including customer support and, um, you know, it was like 250 to 300. Okay. Um, but like in terms of the people I was really working closely with, it was like 50 people. Wow. And is that why you chose Lyft out of those three, just the smaller company getting in That's earlier, right. all the good Going reasons from like my own thing to, <laughs> to joining Facebook. So I, when I got that Facebook offer, like they, they said, we're making you an offer. 
um, they had, no, I told them that Lyft made me an offer and I was really excited about it. And they're like, okay, we're going to make you an offer. We need to get approval from two different apartments. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and then we'll let you know exactly what the offer details are. And I, I can't remember if I did it on that call. I don't think so, but it was right after where I was like, honestly, don't even worry about it. I can't work at a place like that. Like that's not, I just know I'm not going to be able to, to survive the bureaucracy. So, um, I think they ended up giving me numbers. It was way better offer than Lyft. It financially would have been a much better outcome than Lyft long-term. Um, but I'm so glad I did not take that offer. Um, because it was, it was in my DNA to be at a, a smaller, faster growing, or maybe, maybe, maybe not faster growing, but like more exciting startup and that was lift and um man i learned a lot so what was your your skill set at this time you said you joined from marketing what did you what were you were you bringing in something from that company you started in terms of growth hacking no no so it was market manager so they were looking for uh just kind of an entrepreneurial person to build the california markets and so I was overseeing every California market, LA, San Francisco, San Diego, Orange County, not for marketing, but for just growing the business. So thinking about the supply side on the driver side, from operations to marketing to partnerships. Um, for example, at the time, we had never done anything with Coachella. And I was like, you guys, there's like a huge music festival people need to get rides from like what do we what do we do for this and they're like we've never done anything for an event and i was like that seems like we need to change that so i so you know thinking through what are all the events in california <laughs> so there was a lot <laughs> you know so all up and down the state it was a crazy job for me to have you know four years out of college 50 plus percent of all lift rides were in california markets and wow looking back, I can't believe they gave me that job. Um, and it was, it was really amazing learning experience. And eventually we ended up hiring general managers for all of the different markets that I was personally overseeing. So I helped hire the GM of LA and I flew to LA and I trained him up on how to grow the LA market. And so we did that for all the different markets. Okay. So I'm guessing you were early enough to get some employee shares some equity yeah. in the company then. options um, yeah yeah options were you like i don't know what the vesting schedule is um is were you seeing yourself staying at lyft long enough uh, were you playing it by ear what was your sort of yeah that's a good question i mean it's four four year vesting cycle i was still pretty early in my career so it was not really going to be a life changing you know retirement level outcome regardless um so I wasn't really going to be golden handcuffed at that stage. I ended up staying for about two and a half years. Lyft went from 200 plus people to 2,500 people in that two and a half year period, which is just insane. Um, Busy. And I, uh, I just kind of lost, I, I lost the love for, for working at a place that size. So I knew I just, I'm not, that's not my, my vibe. I need to be smaller. So from that point on, I was always at smaller companies. Okay, so you, you basically quit Lyft to, yeah. to join another company? or Yep, I quit. Okay. So in 2017, I really, I was fascinated, I, I still am fascinated with just moving people around, like transportation gets me excited. So I joined a self-driving car company called Zooks, and Zooks was inspiring because um, 
It was started by kind of a family friend, um, co-founded by Jesse Levinson, who's one of the smartest people I've ever interacted with. And it was kind of a founder bet at first where I was like, he's built, he's the smartest person that I know, and he's building something that I'm excited about. I don't really need to dig in much further, which actually maybe was a mistake on my part. Um, I'm doing it. And so I joined Zooks again, 200 people. It was about the size when I joined. And, um, the, uh, the, the idea was incredible. It is incredible. It's still going, which is build the car, what build, what comes after the car from the ground up. So what, what does come after the car? It doesn't have a steering wheel. It's bi-directional. It's self-driving obviously. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of like things that kind of go along with that. So we were building the car, we were building the technology to power the car, the self-driving technology, and then building a platform like a Lyft Uber competitor to request rides from this. And so um, I helped with a lot of different things, a lot, a lot of different projects there. And ultimately it was acquired by Amazon um, during COVID. And, um, and so that was, you know, another really interesting path for me. Okay. So just when you say the, what comes after the car, you mean, Zeus was trying to stay ahead of the curve and plan for a world where you don't have a driver. Yep. And other than that, it's still very similar to, to Lyft and Uber really, isn't it? Request the car. It's got no steering wheel because there's no driver. Exactly. So use the space in a, in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, and I'm also guessing by then you've got partially vested Lyft shares. You probably took mm -hmm. Zeus um, shares yep. as well. You got acquired by Amazon. So I'm, I'm only saying this because obviously everything connects to angel investing somehow. Yeah. So you're familiar with this idea of, of getting equity. Um, what happened after Zeus? And I'm assuming again, when that acquisition came through again, you were not receiving retirement money and no. did you stay on with, with Zeus with Amazon or not? I'm assuming no big company. Nope. You don't like it. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. So the, the thing that I missed in kind of thinking through whether or not I should join Zooks was, um, I am a business person and, um, Zooks really was more of a, in the R and D engineering mode, building all this stuff. I think if I joined Zooks, you know, two years from now or something like that in 2025, and there's paying customers and they're growing in different markets, that's where I kind of right. sell. Um, and so too you know, early. I think I was just too early. I got a little bored, I think waiting. Um, but I was, I just loved like what the mission was and what we were building. So for me though, the outcome, not good. I actually lost money on my options from the Amazon sale. So oh, wow. Explain how that works. Why, why is that? You know, the, um, getting acquired during the, the, the early period, or like I think June or, or so of COVID is not good for companies. It was more of a desperation sort of mm -hmm. acquisition. And, um, cause you know, fundraising for something with such a long time horizon that Zooks was on, was required a, a lot of capital and um we you know we we probably I, I wasn't there anymore at the time i i'd quit and gone on the, the next company um but i you know learned that the only people who were going to retain uh their their value in their equity were the people who were still at zooks when 
kind of when the company was getting rolled into Amazon. And so I think it was a decent outcome for some people at Zooks uh, who are probably still working at Amazon to make sure they're fully vesting. Um, but for the rest of us who had already left, um, you know, we, I bought my options and they went to zero. So, oh, okay. Okay. So you try to get all your options early by paying for yeah. the best. Okay. Yep. Exactly. All right. So, yeah. Um, obviously a learning experience coming out of that one, both yeah. around options and acquisitions, but even what you enjoy working on, mm -hmm. uh, you're really packing in the, the transitions here too. What, what came next? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, there's more. Um, so I'll keep them tight. So what came next was, uh, I, w I joined a five person startup called Blackbird, which was like lift for propeller planes. Again, moving people around cool. marketplace. Yeah. Um, and that was awesome. Uh, I was there for a year and a half. Uh, really wild experience working, you know, directly for the CEO as kind of his right hand man for a lot of the, the time recruiting a lot of my friends from Lyft. Uh, we, we really found, um, you know, product market fit at the right price point. So the example here would be like flying from LA to San Diego. That's the type of flight we're talking about, not a private jet across the country. We're talking about propeller planes flying from LA to San Diego for like $150 a seat. And so you can fly over the traffic, get there really quickly, um, and really have like an incredible experience doing that. Like a giant drone is the way to kind of think about yeah. it, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, like a Cessna, small, small propeller plane that you see up in the sky. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so this was not like a futuristic thing. This is like 1972 Cessnas. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. real normal planes. We're not talking about any tech around. Not, like, yeah, you know, yeah. Okay, so not like a drone, really just a plane. <laughs> it was a small plane. Yeah, small old plane. Um, so and... why, how does that compare to saying like a NetJets or, you know, the... Yeah, so NetJets is jets, right? Those are jets that are flying, you know, the elite across the country. And it's going to cost, you know, $5,000 an hour to, to, to fly private. We were going the opposite direction, which is pay for a seat on a propeller plane going from LA to San Diego or those short, short little bunny hops for a price that most people could potentially afford. Um, and, and really just go down market, whereas every other company in, in the private aviation space goes up market. Okay. And unfortunately, was there a, was there a thesis there though to, to make it more affordable? And like, what was the plan? Cause that just sounds like very low cost flights, not a lot of profit to be made there either. Yeah. So yeah, the thesis was in, and I think this is right, which is eventually electric aircraft are coming and the price per hour to fly those things is going to be like sub $20 an hour. Um, there's some, some battery density hurdles that need to be overcome, but it's coming, it will happen. And, um, and so the idea was kind of like how Uber and Lyft are trying to build the network for autonomous cars. Right. Like eventually the 10 year picture is like all these cars are going to be electric aut autonomous. You don't have to have that many drivers. The margins go way up. Right. And so in the same way, if, if you have a, you know, a plane that's electric and it's, you know, the, the margins go up. Uh, and if you own the demand side of that platform, then you're probably going to be in a good position. Um, and so we, we, we proved out that the, the demand was there. Uh, and then, and then it really became the challenge of like, how do we, how do we stay alive between now and, and the time the electric planes come? Right. <laughs> it was just a similar problem to the black, uh, the previous company as well with the 
building the cars for the future. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Take us forward then. Did you, did you leave in a year and a half again or? <laughs> we all left in a year and a half. Okay, yeah. Okay. So the, uh, the company, um, kind of got fire sale acquired by uh, surf air and rolled into that business. Um, and, uh, so that was, you know, not, we'll see actually surf air is actually about to go public pretty soon. Oh. Um, so maybe, maybe that will amount to something. Um, yeah, you have shares in that one. I do. I have a lot okay. of shares in that one. So okay. fingers crossed that that goes well. Um, but, uh, yeah, the problem there was our unique approach ended up kind of being, uh, let's, let's call it shut down by the FAA, which oh. they basically told pilots who were, uh, who were considering flying for Blackbird that they could lose their license if they did, because we, we had found this loophole and they didn't like it. And so okay. they couldn't figure out a way to, to just shut us down. So they basically told pilots our supply side that, that they would lose their license and okay, that, okay. that worked for them. All right. So you got acquired and then rolled into another company. Um, yeah. And you got, you quit at the same time again, or well, no, that was uh, that was just a lay. Everyone oh, just basically got laid okay. off. Yeah, okay. they kept a skeleton crew to roll into to surf air. So okay, you're still so. wondering where is this guy going to make any yeah. angel investing money? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're, our topic is angel investing today, but wow, you've had a bit of a career here. So what what came yeah. next? So a lot like at the very end of Blackbird, I also started to realize, man, I'm working super hard. I have a decent amount of shares in this company, but, um, sure would be nice to be on the other side of the table and, uh, be on the investor investor side. They're getting preferred shares, not common stock. It's, uh, they can diversify versus just be at one company where you're really not diversifying is a high risk asset class. So why would I want to only have diversification into one company versus many companies this is kind of a raw deal actually is what I started to realize. And I was like, I'm in Silicon Valley. I'm really well connected. Why don't I learn about getting on the other side of the table? So I, and, and maybe I should just try to get a job in VC. So I was, I, I just networked super hard connected to everyone I know from high school who's connected to VCs or working in VC. And I just probably did hundreds of meetings and I started to find number one that I was not hireable as a VC <laughs> okay. and they wanted to see a track record. They wanted to see deal flow. Um, they didn't just buy my story. They're like, I'll figure it out. Trust me. Like I'm going to, I'm going to find great deals and bring them to you. And they're like, yeah, sure. Everyone says that. So the advice I kept getting was, why don't you start a syndicate of Lyft alumni to invest alongside you in the supposed deal flow that you're going to be able to find? And I said, okay, that's what I'll do. So in 2019, I started the Lyft Syndicate, which was both Lyft alumni and existing Lyft employees who joined for free a syndicate on AngelList, a plot, which is a platform that makes this all easy. And basically I said, look, just re I'm gonna write up memos about companies that I find where the founder gives me an allocation in their company in their company's fundraise to in, invest in their company and I'll share with you that opportunity and who else is investing and how much they're investing and, and why I think this is a good, good deal. And, um, and so I started doing that. I started getting plugged in with, with really high caliber people on all sides of the ecosystem, including Ann Mira Co, the first 
venture investor in Lyft, board member at Lyft, wow. and um, founder of Floodgate Capital, which is one of, if not the best seed stage fund um, in the Valley. And so I uh, got super lucky and she took me under her wing for years still. And uh, so this is now we're talking four years later, We Ann and I had weekly calls for the first like three years and we, we now do it monthly. And I just started bringing her deals and we started talking through them. And, and, uh, and then when she said, Hey, this is a pretty good one. Sometimes her fund would invest and sometimes, and, and every time she said that I was bringing it to the lift syndicate and, okay. and so the people could invest. Now that leads me to a question. So deal flow, mm -hmm. um, I can imagine a proximity for you being in the Valley, uh, be having worked for so many different startups, including one that was super successful at the end of the day, Lyft. Yep. Um, you're connected to a lot of people. How does one go about though? Because you said you were not a VC, you had no track record. So yeah. you're and you're starting a syndicate, they expect you to start presenting deals and mm -hmm. good ones too. So yeah. how do you begin this process? Are you just making phone calls saying let's meet for coffee? Are you working on something? Are you thinking about working on something? How does it how does it yeah. happen? It's a good question. Um, so number one, I think the currency in angel investing and in venture in general is sharing deals. If you share good deals with people, they'll share good deals with you, or hopefully they do. And if they don't, and you keep sending them great deals that they invest in, that's a problem. And you should kind of figure that out. But most people kind of play by the same rules, which is if you're bringing me good deals, I'll bring you my good deals. And so I just started getting plugged in with, you know, ex lift people who were starting their own companies. And I made it clear to everyone who would listen. I DM'd hundreds of people on LinkedIn. I'm starting the syndicate. If you start a company, let me know. If you want to join the syndicate and invest in these companies, you can invest a thousand dollars if you want. Here's the link. Join posting on LinkedIn about it, just making sure that my network knew that this was something I was working on. And then they started to come to me with, hey, I am fundraising, who should I be talking to? And then I would connect them with this network of VCs who all rejected me when I was trying to get a job. That, that, that actually paid a lot of dividends because I became a kind of a super connector amongst the founder world and then the VC world. And I was just kind of connecting the dots. Here's a founder who's fundraising, Here's a uh, investor who I met who is interested in that space and just the the engine starts to turn. It doesn't take that many deals to share to, to start to build that pipeline. Right, right. And I guess the word on the street, people start knowing that yeah. Yeah, you have access to capital and, and vice versa. Um, one question, though, I'm sure the listeners are thinking, but how do you earn money when you're leading a syndicate and you're basically investing other people's money to start with, maybe a little bit of your own savings because it's right. common for the lead of a syndicate to yep. also put in money. But I can't imagine we're talking millions of dollars you had available of your own money to pour yeah. into these companies. So how do you how do you feed yourself, uh, Brian, during these early <laughs> days as a syndicate lead, you know? <laughs> wow. It's, I, so you, you kind of threw me a softball there because my a couple of my syndicate friends and I, this is, you know, back in 2019, there weren't that many of us doing this we called it the syndicate diet <laughs> so so how do you feed yourself we, we were we were on the syndicate diet where you you really uh you, you know most venture funds the way it works is they get they get management fees that's how they pay the bills right yeah. so for me i uh 
ended up joining after Blackbird. I joined a company called On Deck. I was like employee three or four at On Deck, which is communities for found at the time it was just for founders to um, connect with each other and start companies together. And I joined it. Uh, they hired me because, you know, I was doing this lift, lift syndicate thing and people were really excited about it. And, uh, I was kind of proving myself as a, as a strong networker. Um, so that's, but I needed a salary. I still needed a salary to do this. And so that was, that was how I was generating my, my salary, both to, uh, both to try to, you know, uh, I guess I, I was starting a family, so to have to have the family side covered, and then also I needed funds to invest in these companies because you know I made some money from Lyft. It was not a crazy amount of money, and so um, you know I was I was personally investing like two thousand dollars into all of the deals that I was syndicating out, and then you know we would we would invest as a group like three hundred more four hundred k into many of these companies just from pooling together everyone else's capital. And so that was my strategy. It was like, I don't have that much money to, to spray too many checks into companies. Um, but I can, I can pool together capital and people can make their own decision and, and, uh, part participate with me if they want. So for those listening into this, um, what is the theory as a syndicate lead? Uh, I, I, I can understand now you had, it's almost like a side hustle while you're working at, yeah. at on deck as a it was. An early it was a starter. All right. So, the pieces come together, you're early in Lyft, other companies, you know, founders, you have a pool of people who've probably had exits of some sort, yeah. whether it's as a founder or an early a company employee. So they have money to put into angel investing. You're the one who's sourcing deals. Um, you also know other syndicate owners and VCs. So you're, you're trading deals back and forth. Yep. Um, so the wheel starts to spin. But at the end of the day, there's no management fees for a syndicate lead. There's I believe 20% carry when there's an exit. So you don't yeah. really get paid possibly for seven years at best, maybe yeah. a little earlier than that. Um, what, what, like, I don't know what, what, what year are we even in with you as a syndicate lead right now? Are we, have we had an exit yet? Is there, are we too year early four. or? Yeah, too early year okay. four. Um, I think there have been exits, but you're not going to, if, if a company exits, you know, one to four years into the the life cycle, you're not gonna most likely you're not gonna make much money from that. So there right. have been a few, nothing, nothing meaningful. Um, okay. We got a. I'm really hoping there aren't any for a couple more years. Right, right, right. I want them all to stay private and keep going. And there are a couple. Uh, there's a number of companies that that are showing signs that they could be huge outcomes, and and that's the game that we're playing. So you know, many of them will fail and go to, all the way down to zero, but if you if you spread your bets across enough high quality companies uh, you're you're most likely going to hit a, a, at least a few yeah let's talk about that so what what does it look like to be like on the right path like you said there's a few that are looking like they could work mm -hmm. out what does that look like in terms of is it just revenue like the ARR what what is yeah. it yeah um i mean that's probably like the punchline is ARR as what it comes down to um so how's that how's that graph looking is it going up into the right um that's that's number one there are other companies that aren't there yet from an arr perspective but they're building kind of a longer term big network and those are going to take a lot longer to get there so there's one of these companies that their user growth it, it has just been off the charts from the beginning they've gotten 
a ton of funding from top institutional VCs. Their ARR is probably, you know, single digits still, but they are likely to be able to layer it in. And so that graph looks a lot different. Um, and we'll see how the market kind of treats that, right? Like they were able to raise a ton in 2021. They took it. They they have runway for like three years and they have, so they have time to grow into it and hopefully, you know, be in a really good position to fundraise as these cycles come and go. Um, so Is that because they're in a technology that takes time to develop, like it sounds like your, your startup career, you kept jumping into things that were not going to be ready for a while yet. Um, is yeah. that what you're kind of doing with your investing as well in, in some cases or? Um, yeah, good question. Now this one, I, I don't do a ton of like deep tech and I certainly have learned my lesson on like capital intensive businesses. I really focus on, on software, high margin, fast growth businesses. This one company I'm referring to is building more of like a network that would compete with LinkedIn. And so to get to the monetization side takes a while. Um, right. So it's more of that kind of maturity versus like requiring more and more capital to build the thing that, that people are going to pay okay. for eventually. So uh, going back to the ARR though, let's, let's mm -hmm. step away from the ones that are trying to build something before ARR. Let's talk yeah. about the ones who actually do monetize early. You're in mm -hmm. year four. What are you hoping their ARR actually is in year four to be considered like a likely you know, the, the lead runner in your overall, and how many investments have you done so far? Oh man. Um, I think my, so there, there's a, there's a couple of different ways to answer that question and we'll have to kind of dive into it, but it's over a hundred. Um, wow. In four years, over a hundred in your syndicate. That's great. Yeah. 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 So we'll, we'll touch on this, but there's the lift syndicate, there's hustle funds, angel squad, uh, and, a, and then some, some direct personal investments. So there's a, a, a few, uh, components to how we got to over a hundred, uh, in four years, but that's, yeah, that's where we're at. Okay. And, and the numbers. So at four years, what does the yeah, yeah. So look like? I think the, the, the most exciting, uh, one is I think probably three years in they have contracted over 150 million in ARR, um, Whoa. which is incredible. That's they haven't, there, there's kind of some trigger points to start capturing that ARR. So it's not at that number yet, but there, there is a, a high likelihood that they'll get somewhere close to that over the coming, let's call it year or two, um, to actually fulfill the, the contract. So that's kind of, that could be the, the home run. Um, and, uh, and we were, we were the first investor into that company too. Okay, nice. So, um, let's talk ballpark numbers though. Would, would you expect, in year four, you know, things are going well. I don't know. What would be the ARR? Maybe 6 million ARR, 10 million yeah. ARR. I don't know. I'm, I'm actually thinking my, my own investments. I, I've, I've been doing it for a little bit longer, not much. Like I'm in my fifth year, sixth year for maybe the first one I ever did. And like the best ones are almost 30 million ARR, but some of them are marketplace models. So their take rate mm. is less. And yeah, um, usually the ones that are like, SaaS are more like 10 million AIR type situations. So those ones I consider my winners, obviously the majority are not at that level. And the other ones you're like, yeah. you're probably going to die or exit with a, a single or double or something like that. But is yep. that kind of what you think as well? Or, cause I know you were in Lyft and I mean, look at a company like that. I'm sure the ARR in month year four is like, uh, you still hear me? 
it got choppy there for a okay. second. Um, yeah. The recording will be fine. So we'll keep, we'll yeah. keep going. So yeah, yeah, with a company like Lyft, the, um, a, 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 you know, like a proper, that's like a, a Decacorn type, you know, yeah. real un, unusual, not just a unicorn, but a, a really unique situation. And that's probably year four. They're ready. I don't know what their AR would have been. Uh, <laughs> Could have been crazy, either. almost a billion. I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think GMV was around a, a billion. The run rate GMV was a billion at like in 2015, I think. So, I think that was probably five years in 20% take rate on that. Um, so I think it was doing like 200 million, maybe five years in. And that's right. not ARR, right? It's because because that's just transactions. Um, but they were doing run rate, let's call it of like two hundred million, which is my guess. That's all public information. Yeah, um, yeah. So something like that. So you know, that's that gives you a benchmark for like one of those rocket ships. Um, but yeah, I think your what, the numbers you you shared are are I would say in line with what I see as like you know really exciting, promising companies. Um, Okay. Um, so let's break down, like you mentioned, you've got your, your Lyft syndicate. I love calling that like uh, the Lyft mafia, right? Cause that's basically what you, you created there, a place for the Lyft mafia to keep investing. Um, now you've got the hustle fund and obviously I know you as a, now a squad member, but I also had Elizabeth Yin on the show. You can go back and find her yeah. episode as well. Um, I think Elizabeth is certainly getting her name out there. She's becoming more and more well-known as well as a VC, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, can you connect the dots? How did you, you know, get involved with Hustle Fund? Because I, I, I think we've covered yeah. your Lyft syndicate. You started that first. Yep. I would have thought maybe that's all you do. You just keep doing that, but you, you've branched into other things. And, yeah. and obviously you have on deck as well. Like, you, are you still working there or did you? you no, left? no. Yeah. So the story there, let's see. So I was, um, so I was at on deck. Um, this is again, 2020 dark COVID times. Um, and, uh, and I had this idea at on deck, I was like, why don't we go make the, we have on deck for founders? Why don't we make on deck for angel investors? And they love that idea. They're like, yep, let's do it. You're in charge, go build it. So I built on deck angels. We ran that for a couple cohorts. Um, and really that idea was, let's see how many really well connected experienced angel investors, um, who maybe already have a fund that they're raising or are managing. Um, there, you know, there's this really exciting trend, especially at that time of you know, people who are going from angel to, to fund manager raising five to $10 million funds. Like, let's try to attract that demographic. And so we did that. It was pretty successful. A lot of, a lot of interest in, in joining that program. But so just, for, I actually know nothing about on deck. What is their monetization model? It was a, is a, it was a membership fee to, okay. to do it. Um, I think on deck was charging $5,000 to be a member of on deck angels, okay. uh, for like a six week program. And, and I was like, you know, that is, that is cool. And there's a lot of interest And on deck at that time was one of the most, um, high, like fastest growing, very hypey companies it was really like every every metric was going up and to the right but i i met with eric and elizabeth and i was like you know on deck is going this direction i actually really want to go this other direction which is 
this insight I have from running the Lyft Syndicate, which is open to anyone to join. And I'm seeing people from all over the world who have no angel investing experience. They really don't know where to start. Um, and they're joining my syndicate just to invest alongside me. Why are they investing alongside me? I'm, I'm still very much new to this. I don't really know what I'm doing outside of what I'm learning from Ann Mirako, who's keeping the train on the tracks. Why don't, why isn't there a program that's teaching people how to do this? And would you guys, if I like left on deck and started it, cause I know on deck doesn't want to do this. Why don't, why don't we create this together? And, or why don't you, why don't you speak at it? And they were like, wait a second, we have this idea too. We have this exact same idea. They sent me a Google doc. It was like, here oh, wow. is what we have in mind for an angel club. They called it. And I was like, I think we're on the same page. They're like, quit on deck and let's do it. And I was like, um, let me tell my wife that this is the plan. We just had a kid in July. This is October, our second child. Uh, as you can see, my career has been very zigzaggy. <laughs> no. Uh, she's gone through a lot of kind of abrupt changes and, and eventually what I told them was like, why don't you guys announce to your friends that you're going to start this? And if you get a hundred applications from your friends, I'll quit on deck and we can do this. And, uh, that's what they did. So they Elizabeth, Sheehan, and Eric just like messaged their friends, posted on Facebook. They didn't make it public. It was just like to their friends and they had enough interest. And I was like, okay, I guess we're doing it. So I quit on deck. I started Hustle Funds Angel Squad. And what we really have nailed is we built a program where we're teaching people how Hustle Fund makes investment decisions. Uh, we are giving access to invest alongside Hustle Fund in our best portfolio companies. We're building a really special community of the people who are interested in this and connecting them to each other. And then we're helping those people who want to get involved with the startups that we're investing in, uh, get plugged in and, and raise their hand if they want to help those startups. So um, that was in, we launched it in January of 2021. And uh, since then it's just taken off. We have over 1500 people have joined. Um, and we, we honestly, couldn't be happier with with how it's been going yeah and um i i when i went through the initial call for angel squad i was actually mostly impressed by the deal flow as in mm. um the the i don't want to call it a salesperson the current yeah. angel squad member the who recruiter. was telling me yeah, the yeah. Recruiter, i don't know the person telling me about angel squad was mm -hmm. um I, you know i was asking is it like one deal a week is it one deal a month and she's like no sometimes it's like multiple deals a week. I'm like, okay, that's amazing. So you, you know, you get oh, yeah. in front of a lot of companies and you know, I'm not, I'm like you in the sense that angel investing has been a side hustle. In fact, I'm probably even more side hustle than you. Now you're a syndicate lead. I'm not a syndicate lead and I've primarily invested through syndicates. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and I really enjoy the learning you get from just being behind the scenes. And it, really it's just the updates from the founders, yeah. you know, they send the updates to the, to the people in who are back yeah. them and you learn just everything like as a founder myself you're learning okay what are their metrics what are they doing with their marketing what are they doing with their mm. hiring and how they're spending money and where they where are they struggling where are they growing so it just yep. gives you this sense of okay we're all doing very similar things and and you know gives you a and as an angel investor it helps you understand what metrics to look for and, and so on so um maybe in the last sort of five minutes here because i know we're going to wrap this up soon what does it take brian because 
now you're leading uh, mm -hmm. essentially a bunch of angels who are all investing. You've had a bit more experience now. The ultimate question, what do you, what do you look for in mm. uh, an angel investment, especially when like me, I'm part of your syndicate with angel squad. I'm part of Jason Kalkanis's syndicate. Yep. I've been in Arlen Hamilton syndicate. I'm, yeah. I'm part of syndicates on angel list. There's way yeah. more deal flow now than I could possibly invest in. I'm <laughs> yeah. not rich enough. And I, and I have noticed like, um, you know, throwing a thousand dollars into each deal while it's nice to participate. I just I crunch the numbers and I go, I'm not going to get a good return on a thousand unless yeah. it really is Google or something like that. Yeah. I like to calculate based on what if this turns into a, a $1 billion company and you know, yep. like, like your classic unicorn calculation. So it's really more like 5,000, 10,000, 25,000 to sort of get started, which is a lot of money. So I'm picking and choosing only a few yep. companies doubling down on the winners yep. and picking and choosing a few is actually very difficult. So what is the criteria you recommend to look for when picking and choosing the few to invest in? Yeah, great question. And uh, it is hard. And I think um, there's a few, I have a few thoughts on that. Number one, part of why we started Angel Squad. So I, we didn't talk too much about Hustle Fund yet, but Hustle Fund's an early stage venture capital fund based in Silicon Valley. Elizabeth Yin and Eric Bond uh, and she and Co are the three GPs. They're friends from Stanford. They've all been in startups their whole career. Um, Eric and Elizabeth worked together at 500 startups back in the, the glory days um, and broke off to start Hustle Fund. Uh, th these are really good investors. Um, and number one, I think learning from people like Elizabeth and Eric and Sheehan um, on what their frameworks are respectively is a really helpful starting point, which is why we started Angel Squad. And then having the deal flow that you receive filtered down by somebody like those people, whether it's Jason Calacanis or the Hustle Fund team. And so you're only seeing the deals where they are putting a meaningful amount of capital to have some real skin in the game. Uh, as a kind of a filtering mechanism is a really good way to save your time, right? You can join a hundred different syndicates on AngelList and most of the people are kind of like how I was when I first started, that's their filter. Like, do you want their filter or do you want um, a more, you know, experienced filter? So I think the filter matters, but then your question is more about the, what's my framework. And so my framework's different from Elizabeth's framework versus Eric's. We all have kind of different inputs that matter more to us or less to us. But I think there's a kind of an agreed upon set of inputs that you are looking at when you are making an investment decision in a startup. The obvious one, the founder, who are they? Why are they the right person to start this company? What kind of private information or uh, earned secret as Anne Mirako like to, to put it, have they gathered from some sort of experience that they have that makes them the right person to to build this thing, this insight. Um, so there's a kind of a whole laundry list of different components to think through. You could also think about the if they have a co-founder, how long have they known the co-founder? Have they built anything else before? Did they just meet on the street? What's their relationship? Are they childhood friends? Um, so there's a lot of elements to think through when it comes to the founder. I think for me, for Eric, we think of that as kind of number one. Um, then there's the market. The market, is this something that the market needs? How big is the market? What is this a painkiller or a vitamin? A vitamin is kind of more nice to have versus painkiller, like you 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 really need this, this product. So 
there's thinking through the kind of the size of the market. Then there's what is the solution or the product that's being built and, and does the customer show any interest in it? What we call this market pull at Hustle Fund. Is there market pull? Are customers saying more and more that this is something that they need and you could usually see this in a in a graph of some kind that's either user growth or revenue. It's just showing that in a short period of time since launching your product, there's more and more people who are using it. And then what does the retention look like? over you know certain periods of time and cohorted out as you re release new product features what is what does the retention look like and is it going up um so there's some benchmarks to look at from like a metrics perspective so those are just some of the things those are the, the obvious things there's also things like competition uh that you you probably want to think through uh at the end of the day though we often think you know I'm, we're not super worried about what if Google does this. That's not that's not a reason for us at this point not to invest. Maybe this in the AI space, that's a, maybe a different game that people are playing. But overall, competition is something to think about, but also something that we don't overweight. Um, however, uh, there is a factor within competition that we do value a lot, which is if this is a super competitive space, what is customer acquisition going to look like long-term. If it's super competitive, the customer acquisition costs are going to go up over time. And so as a result, do you have enough margin to play with for that product to make that sustainable? And oftentimes, if this is a super crowded space, we'll, we'll bow out of that because of that customer acquisition issue. Uh, but we're less worried about the incumbent issue of, you know, what if the big, big guys mm. try to, to copy this? So, those are some of the thoughts. Um, we have a pretty robust framework that we share at Angel Squad, and and uh, anyway, hopefully that's a helpful starting point. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting, especially your point about the competition and the potential future cost of acquisition. You don't mm -hmm. necessarily think about that, especially because so many companies are using Google and Facebook as their main uh, their paid advertising source, and you know we're all going for the same eyeballs essentially. So yep. yeah, exactly. Um, Brian, so interesting. Your, your career is interesting. Uh, I love that you've switched to angel investing without, you know, being rich at the end of the day. You know, so many people oh, yeah. talk about I had a big exit and then I became an angel investor. Well, that's nice for you, that's but you know, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you demonstrate the potential that you can enter angel investing without having had a, a life changing retirement forever uh, exit. And hopefully through your angel investing, that will be the outcome anyway. And you're associated with Hustle Fund, which already um, Hustle Fund, what, what's, I know, is it um, uh, the web building tool? Is, there, is that their, their biggest Webflow? Uh, Webflow. Is that probably their, their biggest uh, hit so far? Safe to yeah. say? Or? Nerd Wallet and Webflow so far are the, the biggest hits. Yeah. Okay. Because they've yep. been in, in their past seven years now. So they're starting to get their, yeah. their, their, their big ones. Okay. That's awesome. Um, yep. Anything you want to throw at the users before we wrap it up? At yes. the users, at the uh, listeners. <laughs> the listeners, yeah. Let me I'm in um, software mode. <laughs> me, I want to make sure I get this URL right. Sorry. Yes, please do. Obviously, um, for, I mean, I have to mention, I just joined Angel Squad, which what is Brian is the head honcho there. Um, and if you're an angel investor, obviously, or want to become one, because it's not just deal flow, it's education, That's which is, and it's also networking. Those are the three reasons I joined. A deal flow probably my primary reason, uh, and then B probably networking to meet other angel investors, and then C, 
I'm not great with some things like some of the number crunching or, you know, like dilution, pro rata, you know, some of these things that go along with these investments. So uh, I'm getting better at it, but to have some structured training is another thing I like. So I'm looking forward to diving into um, what's available in Angel Squad, which I think I've said enough to give you a chance to find the URL there. Brian, how are you going? <laughs> yeah. Um, hold on one second. I, I should have had this written down. Um, no, right. I'm assuming it's Hustle Fund something Angel Squad, right? So Yeah. So there's this. Okay. It, so we put together an angel investing starter kit that we want to share with folks to just get to get you know more insight into all of the components that come with angel investing. This is free for for everyone. The URL is letsgo.hustlefund.vc/starterkit. And I can send this URL so we could add it to the show notes. Please but, do, um, that's a messy one. <laughs> it's a long one. Yeah, yeah. it's too long. Um, yeah. But uh, but but we really hope people take advantage of it because um, we always wanted something like this when we were getting started, and and so we put it together uh, just just a couple weeks ago to uh, to help people. Awesome. And anything else you want to? Any other links for you, Brian, or just just that's the great best starting point. I think that's a great starting point. The last thing I've been getting more active on LinkedIn. So if you search for Brian Nichols, you'll find me. Um, and I would love to to engage on LinkedIn with you. Okay, great. Well, lovely to put a face to the emails I've started to get, Brian. So that's yeah. great. Nice, nice to meet you. And I, I hope in seven years we're talking about an investment that we both uh, did and we're in and we're getting a lovely exit. So <laughs> yes, me too. Uh, that is the goal. So hopefully we deliver. And thank you so much for joining Angel Squad. I really I, I appreciate you doing that. And if you have feedback along the way, uh, I'm all ears. We have built Angel Squad based on all of the customer feedback that we've gotten along the way. Um, I actually just looked, I've done over a thousand interviews. So you were talking about the, the salesperson uh, for the, I still do. I have probably five interviews tomorrow where I'm just meeting oh, wow. with people interested in angel squad. And, um, and so I've learned a lot about what, what the people want. And I'm always interested in hearing how we can make our product, our product a little bit better. Yeah, I feel like it's early days still too. So even though you're yep. a few years into it, but I have to say one of the other factors that swayed me is is just simply Elizabeth and, and your GPs. There yep. is it's a nice vibe. Um, I love how early you you guys are too. That's what I also yep. like about Jason. You know, when you're getting in at a five million dollar valuation, eight million dollar valuation, ten yep. million dollar valuation in an, in a startup. True, it's seed, so you don't know if it's actually got any yeah. traction whatsoever, but mm -hmm. it's just, you know, I, I, the numbers I do crunch is, well, if I got in at 20 million, it's actually a lot different than if I got in at six or five, you know, it, it can, it, totally. it's, it's different sometimes of hundreds of thousands to even millions of dollers. So it's yep. crazy. Yeah. Yep. Power law. Uh, power law. You're right. No, I've, I was thinking about this exact same thing literally today. So we're, on, we're definitely on the same page. Awesome. Well, I will see you in Angel Squad and thanks yeah, for thank uh, sharing the story, Brian. Me.